Cool. Okay. How do you feel? You feeling okay about this? Yeah, a little bit nervous now, but <laughs> yeah. How come? Um, I don't know. Well, just I suppose it's not something I've really talked about. Certainly not to comparative strangers. Welcome to Love Canberra, a show about love, sex, and relationships here in the heart of the nation. I'm Ivana Ho. The conversation you're about to hear between me and Andrew is one of the more personal and intimate conversations I've had. I don't think I mentioned this to Andrew, but his story really moved me because his naked love and dedication to his child is something I didn't experience growing up. Well, when I say that, I'm thinking of my mother, who left my father and I when I was seven, but more on her later. So here's a bit of background about Andrew. He's 43, has a younger sister called Elizabeth. He lived in Sydney since the age of two, but followed his father to England after he completed his HSC. He attended Oxford University, went on to do a PhD in mathematics, and all up lived in the UK for about two decades. In 2010, Andrew returned to Sydney and in mid-2011, he met Natasha and Katrina through a mutual friend of his sister's. She definitely wanted us to meet. Um, was at a, a housewarming party when she'd just moved into a place, and we started talking about something mathematical, statistical or something, or even that first meeting. So that was their first meeting. It was their second meeting at a gig of their mutual friend where they discovered their shared love of music. And from there, their friendship took off. Given I didn't know Natasha and Katrina, I asked Andrew to describe them for me. We describe ourselves as nerds and geeks to some extent um, and consider it a compliment. We all have a little bit of a tendency towards literalism and um, yeah I definitely have similarities with Sheldon Cooper. In case that name isn't familiar to you, which it wasn't to me, Sheldon Cooper is from The Big Bang Theory. We talked a bit about Sheldon and I mentioned Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy, which I'd seen recently, and we both laughed about not getting the other person's reference because he hadn't seen the Guardians film and I had never watched The Big Bang Theory. Then we got more serious, and I asked him when Natasha and Katrina first broached the subject of wanting Andrew to be their sperm donor. It was in 2012, I think, around the middle of the year, our mutual friend Renee, who had introduced us, rang me up one evening. It was something like, Andrew, do you reckon if a couple couldn't have kids and they might want you to help out, you'd be interested. 
And I said yes. And no hesitation, just yes? Um, pretty much, yeah. Okay. And I found out later that Renee had actually asked my sister previously to say, um, if we asked Andrew this question, would he be likely to get upset? <laughs> uh, might he say yes, whatever? Um, Renee asked me whether I'd consider the idea. I said yes. We got together with Natasha and Katrina a few times to talk through it. Why was Renee there as well? Part of the conversation? I don't know, conversation. actually. Okay. Uh, I guess for, for Natasha and Katrina, it was a fairly personal thing. Um, and maybe it was a, a buffer against the possibility of rejection. Mm. Uh, Renee dropped out of the picture fairly quickly, well, out of the conversation at any rate, and Natasha and Katrina and I kept a conversation about what it might look like and what might be involved and when it might happen. Had they asked anyone else, do you know, before uh, they asked you? I know they had explored it. I don't know if I was the first person that they asked. I believe I was the first person they were, shall we say, enthusiastic about asking. Mm. And do you know why they asked you? Uh, the, the phrase that's going through my mind is genetic engineering. <laughs> um, they and I have very similar interests um, in all sorts of ways, and they thought I would make a good father for a prospective child, and if inheritance and genetics play any part, the qualities they see in me are ones they want to foster. Mm. Um, so what were they looking for in their donor? One thing they really wanted was a donor who would maintain contact. They did not want to use an anonymous donor from a sperm bank. Uh, they wanted to know who the father was, is, and preferably have the father stay involved in the child's life. And that was definitely something that I would wanted to if I were going to be a donor. I didn't want just to donate some sperm and there's this child running around somewhere in the world that I have no contact with. So yeah, that was the basics of that discussion. How did you feel about being asked? Pleased, I guess. It's, it's, um, it's a compliment for someone to say, we think you'd make a good father to our child. Also, at the time I was single and in my late 30s and I'd always wanted children. And also I didn't at the time see a likelihood of me having my own children. So this, one of the selfish aspects of it was this was a way for me to get a child that I wouldn't otherwise have.
things seemed to be off to a good start. Andrew, Natasha and Katrina were all on the same page about Andrew donating sperm and being involved in the child's life. Around that time, however, Andrew started dating someone and that someone was not happy with what Andrew was considering. She was not keen on the idea. And Do you I, know why she wasn't keen? Not completely. She said a little bit about it that I can't really remember. Just the timing of that relationship and the conversation with Natasha and Katrina just happened badly. And because of my relationship, I said January 2013, no, I didn't feel able to go through with donating sperm at that time. Andrew's decision put Natasha and Katrina's plans on hold. They explored other options and Andrew continued to see his partner. Andrew's relationship lasted a year. In 2014, when Natasha and Katrina asked Andrew if he would consider restarting the process, he said yes. And in November 2015, James was born. How do you feel about the term sperm donor? Um. Unpack the question for me a sure, bit. Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, do you feel like it's a bit of a clinical term in terms of the result that happened and, you know, your relationship now with James? Well, yes, it is a, a more clinical term. It's also... I guess being very literal then. Yes, it's, yeah, it, it, it okay. is a term which applies to the situation. Mm -hmm. I, I donated sperm to my friends who conceived a baby. Okay. Um... We, we call me, well, they refer to me as, as daddy, to, to James, and I'm involved in his life and their life by association. Well, I'm involved in their life because they're friends. Mm. And so it's, it's an appropriate phrase. Mm. Um, okay. Doesn't, no phrase can completely describe the relationship. So it, it describes part of it. Mm. So you've wanted to have kids for a very long time. When did you first start thinking about it? And when did you first start sort of wanting kids? I can't remember not wanting kids. Um, what does that mean? Like from when you were like a child? Or? Yeah. Okay. Um, when... My sister and I, Elizabeth, my sister and I were still young. Uh, we both wanted to have another sibling, um, which never happened. So I told you that I was two years old when we moved to Sydney and Elizabeth was born just after that. Um, and apparently I did a lot of sort of caring for her the age of two and a half. I was really interested in this new baby and, and things. And as siblings, we actually have always been close. 
somehow we never had the, the sibling fight or the antagonism that I've seen in other families. And yeah, I just always wanted to look after children. And I remember as a teenager, I wanted to be able to babysit and was never asked and was very jealous that my sister was asked. Why do you think your sister was asked over you? A combination of things. One, I think it was someone from a group of her friends. I don't remember the exact situation. Um, But also I think that because I was a boy, people didn't expect me to want to babysit anyone. Um, I also felt Elizabeth somehow is really good with children and seems really confident about dealing with them. And I never felt that confidence. So... What do you mean there? I mean, what weren't you confident about? Um... I remember one situation. We were in the the hall and with a a toddler who who fell over. And the mum was at the other end of the hall. And I just remember not knowing what I was supposed to do in the situation. Do I pick this kid up? The mum's there. Is is it her job to do it? What is my role here when I'm not the one in charge? Elizabeth didn't seem to have that feeling. Uh, And I think also there's a cultural, societal thing that men are not supposed to coo over babies, and women are. And I've been in lots and lots of, of groups where there's been a baby that's been passed around all the women and not around the men. Um, except perhaps as an afterthought, when the baby has already um, had enough about being passed from person to person and starts crying. I remember another situation, just a group of friends, baby was passed around and somebody said, anyone else want to, to hold the baby? And I said, yes, please. And was very nearly ignored. So when you came of age then and um, started having relationships and so forth, how did you picture your life unfolding? Um, like how many kids did you want? What was it that that you wanted in life? Um, I always wanted to be around lots of kids. That was kind of as much as I knew. Um, My dad's move and then my move to England was two and a half years into my first relationship. And in my memory, I was given the impression that I'd be able to go and study in England and still keep up the relationship. And that didn't happen. Who gave you that impression? I, that's unclear. That's just the way I remember it right. being, that I wanted to um, keep that relationship and somehow thought it was, would be possible. Um, I also I don't remember anybody saying to me, Andrew, actually, you don't have to go to England. You can stay here. Uh, and that whole situation 
kind of stuck me up for a long time. Um, it was about three years after that that I next sort of sort of started to go out with someone and at that time I moved to London for my PhD and that relationship just fizzled. Um, another few years after that I did have another relationship with a girl from Poland and was considering the possibility of moving to Poland and living, living there and seeing what happened. Uh, that relationship failed on a hitchhiking trip around Poland and it was quite a while before my next serious relationship uh, which turned out to be with someone who actually was not right for me. Because of that I knew it, it was not going to lead towards marriage or, and children and things. It took a long time to get out of the relationship and then come back to Sydney and I've had the one girlfriend in Sydney since then and most of the rest of my life has been single. Andrew is probably one of the few early childhood educators out there who has a PhD in mathematics. Even while he was doing his PhD though, he talked about becoming a kindergarten or preschool teacher. It wasn't until he returned to Sydney that he began to pursue this goal, completing a Cert three in Early Childhood Education and Care Services, followed by the diploma around the time James was born. Having obtained qualifications that would be recognised nationwide, and having exhausted any commitments he had in Sydney, Andrew decided to move to Canberra. There, he found work in short order at an early childhood centre. As someone who spends a lot of time around very young children, are there particular things that you've kind of I don't know, learned about them and that you have observed that people who don't spend much time around children wouldn't really understand or, or see? There's a lot of theory about how children develop and sort of what's going on for them. And I guess in, in the general world, you don't really find out about that. So people perhaps have a tendency to treat children as less capable than they are. And in some sense, not to give them the same independence that they would give to older children or adults. In the sense that when a child is struggling to work something out, a lot of adults may jump in and do it for them instead of letting them figure things out for themselves. That's a particular bugbear of mine, mm. I guess. Um, so kids are smarter and more capable than we give them credit for? I think so, yeah. Um, so 
this is something that I should have probably asked you a little bit earlier, but um, do you have any kind of explanation for why you want kids so much and why you like kids so much? Not completely. It could just be my nature that even when I was two and a half years old and Elizabeth was born, I wanted to be with her and look after her. So yeah, why I want to, I can't explain. It's just me. What I like about them, one thing that, that I find very attractive about children is that they are authentic. They don't have all the sort of societal rules that adults kind of have to say, let's say you sort of have to pretend that you like people to get on with them. A child doesn't do that. If a child doesn't want to give you a hug, they'll make it clear they don't want to give you a hug. They won't pretend. Uh, pretend play is a different thing. But when they're crying, something is wrong. It might just be they don't, didn't have the toy they, they wanted. But they won't lie about their feelings. That feature of children means when I'm with children, I can be fully myself. I don't have to try to follow the pressures of society, the rules and things. I can just be myself and do what feels right to do with them. As you mentioned, he was born in November 2015, which makes him um, a bit over a year old now. Yep, uh, 15 and a half months. Yeah, and he's hitting all those milestones, <laughs> just as he should be, or just as any kid should be. Um, and you mentioned recently that he's now walking independently fairly yep. well, and uh, he's like lost those zombie arms. <laughs> oh yeah, he still has them a little bit when he's when he's walking. Um, especially when he was just starting to walk, he put his chin down on his chest and his arms were, were out in front of him and, and waving around a little bit to keep his balance and he just looked like this zombie baby. Uh, and he doesn't even do that so much anymore. He learnt reasonably quickly to be able to get to a standing position just from the middle of the floor without having to pull himself up on stuff. He has said bye-bye at the right situation a few times and waves at particularly Katrina when she was going off to work. What was his first word? <laughs> Some, somewhere around early January, so about two months, we were in the car and he came out with this hello randomly in the middle of other stuff. So we're claiming that as his first word. <laughs> um, he has said mum, 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 mum a few times. He's not comprehensively vocal. He, he's not verbal, really. He makes a lot of chattering noises. Um, it feels to me more than most babies I know. But is yeah, 
he's not speaking words yet. Right, okay. So um, he hasn't said anything approximating Dada yet? Not that I've noticed. He says bar yeah. occasionally. Um, which would be actually quite nice if he if he did start calling me bar because um, when I was a kid, um, we had a family friend um, whose father was called Andrew. And somehow um, our friend who's a couple of years younger than, than I am started calling his dad bar and... So that Andrew became Big Bar and I became Little Bar. Um, so yeah, it, it would be, in a way it would be quite nice and circular if James did call me Bar. Mm. Um, but we, we, that's for, for him to get to. Mm. Um, um, we're not pushing for that. So where was James born? Um, here in Canberra. He ended up being born at home and we went to the Canberra hospital overnight and back home that day. So you were here for his birth? I made it here, yes. Okay. Um, my diploma finished around then. Um, I had been on the work placement for three weeks, which finished on a Tuesday. And on the Wednesday and the Thursday, I got through all my uh, written work and was able to hand it in on Friday to my assessor. On that Saturday afternoon, I got the phone call from Natasha that said, um, Andrew, you might want to come to Canberra <laughs> today. Um, and I happened to be at my sister's. I drove back to my flat in Randwick, got a suitcase together, drove down to, to Canberra, and I got there about four hours before the birth. Wow. So what was that like, watching the birth? Um, a, a combination of things. First of all, it was a great privilege. And I helped out as I could. Unless I happen to end up with a, a partner and, and we have kids, I suspect I'm unlikely to witness another birth um, but yeah there was it was stressful as well as in the end right okay. joyous shortly after james was born andrew moved to canberra and initially lived with natasha and katrina as i mentioned earlier he found a job fairly quickly at an early childhood center he would leave in the morning for work, come back and have dinner with James and his mothers, and just generally spend time with the three of them. It was good, he says, but a bit of an adjustment. It took a bit for things to settle down and um, for me to be part of the routines. Um, we eventually arranged that Katrina did most of the cooking, and I would clean up the kitchen after dinner. When they needed someone to care for James because he wasn't falling asleep and um, they, needed, they wanted to be doing other things, I was there. Um, yeah, generally able to spend 
time with them. Did you feel like you were sort of part of a family or did you sort of feel more like a live-in, I don't know, caretaker of sorts? Um, I never did feel completely part of the family. Um, it's just the way it is because in Australia, legally, a child has two parents. You cannot set up a legal three-parent family. And it was always going to be Natasha and Katrina's child, not mine. It would be theirs to, to care for and to feed and to take to doctor's appointments. And so... Yes, there were times when I felt left out because I was not as involved. So you um, moved into this flat that we're in now about a month ago. Um, how often do you see James now? Most days. It's been fewer this past week, um, but I will often go there after work either to have dinner with them or a bit of time after dinner. Uh, it's slightly complicated because usually James has a bath and goes to bed very soon after dinner. Uh, but maybe three or four days a week, if nothing else happens, there are, there's the chance for me to go over. Um, we have arranged that once a month I can take a day off work and as I did this past week, take James to the German playgroup uh, on a Wednesday morning. And this coming week, also on Tuesday, I'm going to have another day off to care for him because Natasha and Katrina both have other commitments. Uh, and particularly on Saturday mornings is another time, regular time that I can go over and spend time with him. It gives them the chance to do other stuff. So we, we kind of have a few semi-regular times when I see him. What do you tend to do when you're with James? Um, generally sit with him, play with him, take him outside, let him walk along the veranda, climb down the steps and walk around the yard. One thing he does is um, get the clothes pegs out of the basket and uh, he's less good at putting them back, but he still does that sometimes. So if I put peg clothes pegs to my clothes, something he'll come and pull them off. He's more keen now than he has been in the past to sit on one of our laps uh, with a book. He can also sit by himself and read a book and he has a, a particular book reading voice that is, is his little chatterings change tone when he's reading. It's very child-led. It's very much it's what James wants to be doing rather than I think you should be doing this now. Um, he'll often 
go and stand at the piano, which he he can just if he's standing up and lifts his arms over his head, so he can he can reach the keys, and he'll go and, and play notes on that. Sometimes I'll just let him sit and do something, and I'll play the ukulele. I'll try and learn a new song. Um, what do you normally sing to him? There are a few songs which I kind of sing regularly. Um, what I've not said so far is that as much as possible I actually speak to James in German, which is something that Natasha and Katrina and I talked about even before he was born. Uh, they both can speak German themselves, having lived in Basel, though they generally don't speak German with James, but they were quite happy for James to grow up zweisprachig, bilingual, uh, and so yeah, I started speaking German to him when he was born, and I've been able to continue, and there are two songs in particular that I use as lullabies. One is the Lindenbaum, the Linden Tree. The melody is by Schubert. And the other one is a song from my own childhood, because uh, my grandfather was German. And we had a tape of Die Schönsten Kinderlieder, the most beautiful children's songs. One of which is um, Das Fandern ist des Müllers Lust. To wander, to hike, uh, is a miller's joy. And so those two songs are generally the, the first ones I, I sing. Uh, but I have a, a whole collection of Scottish and Australian folk songs, songs from other places. My, but my grandmother was Scottish, and so we have... I, I learnt a lot of Scottish songs as a kid, and I sing some of those. Other things that I, I happen to find, I, recently I learnt uh, John Denver's I'm Leaving on a Jet Plane. Um, so I've added that to my repertoire. So you mentioned before that Natasha and Katrina tend to refer to you as Daddy in front of James. Do you feel like a father to James? Or do you feel more like an uncle or something like that? Um, that's really hard to say because I, I've never been in a yeah any other form of fatherhood situation. Um, probably the relationship would be most similar to a a relationship with an uncle, because I'm not one of the full time parents. The other way of considering it is sort of as a divorced dad. I use that phrase even sort of in the original conversations. It's, a, it's an unusual thing to to consider that yeah, you know, I'm going to be a father to a child of whom I will not have custody. Um, I'll end up in the position of a dad who's got divorced and who doesn't have custody of the kids, but without having gone through the being part of that family in the start. So it, it is an un unusual situation, and it is what it is, it is what it 
was going to be. What I believe, though, is that the things that create love and family ties and connections between people, it's, t it's time. And if you commit time to someone, you create the connection. That's one of the things I tried to do with James, was just spend time with him, to some extent arrange my life around spending time with him rather than just doing it when I happen to be free. And my expectation stroke hope is that that will create the relationship that, in a way that will last. And if he calls me daddy, if he calls me Andrew, if he calls me Bar, well, that's less important, important than that he's there to do it. As I listened to Andrew say these things, I began to choke up. I was struck by the contrast between him and James and my mother and I. My mother left my father and I when I was seven. A couple of years after the split, my father and I moved to the other side of the country. Every Christmas, though, he'd use up his holiday time and take me to go visit her. She was unemployed, so presumably didn't have a lot of commitments. Nevertheless, out of the one week when I'd be in the same city as her, she'd only be available to see me for a few of those days. Back then, I hadn't realised how shitty and hurtful that was. It dawned on me though in my mid-teens, and occasionally it still weighs on me, such as in moments like these, sitting there with Andrew, hearing about how he actively makes time to spend with James. As I listened to him, the other thing that occurred to me was how the situation was actually quite saddening. I mentioned this thought to Andrew. Do you find the situation both a joyful one as well as being one of sadness? Oh yes, yeah, of course it's joyful. It's a kid. <laughs> yeah. Does it sound from what I've said that there's, there's a lot of sadness involved? Um, it's not meant to. Being around children, being around James is a joyful thing. Uh, It's getting personal, I don't want to. <laughs> but okay. yeah, um, sure. There's, there's, there's a lot of stuff there that so I suppose I regret about the way my life has ended up. Okay. Um, so with Natasha and Katrina, do you feel like they're, and in relation to James, do you feel like there are things that you want that you don't feel comfortable asking for or don't feel like you have a right to ask for? What sort of things would you be thinking of? Like more access or anything like that? Or are you like perfectly happy with the situation as it is now and you wouldn't change a thing? <laughs> I guess that's the flip side <laughs> of, of the equation. 
At that point, Andrew poured us some more water and took a moment before responding. The way I feel about this situation at the moment is that were someone else to ask me, I would not donate again. If I were to live through the period again and, and Natasha and Katrina asking me and things, um, it was the right thing for me to do, it still has been the right thing, yes. Were I to live life again, I'd do it again. Um, I would not repeat the situation with other people. I guess as someone who has wanted children for so long, I can understand why you wouldn't want to repeat this because it is painful, which is what I was getting at before, to have children but then sort of be kept slightly at an arm's distance from yep. them. Um, it's actually a very similar thing working with children, I think. Especially in an early childhood centre, you spend up to five years as the child grows older through the centre and then moves to school. And because I've only had one year at this centre, mostly you lose touch with them. And so you spend a lot of time building a relationship and working with these children. I would even say loving these children. And then you have to say goodbye to them. Um, one of the things I think about it is I'm, I do the best I can for the children at the time I'm doing it and just have to hope that over the rest of their life I've had a good, good influence in some way. I guess the joy of having been part of their yeah. lives and having gotten to know them and nurture them that outweighs the sadness involved with then having to say goodbye to them. Definitely, yeah. Mm. It was a, a children or young adult book I read long ago, it was something like, the, the situation was a family moved to the country for a year or six months and they knew it was going to be a year or six months and then they'd move back. And the child of the family's view was, why should I try to get to know these other children in the neighbourhood because I'm just going to leave them again. Um, I forget the details, but the, the whole point of it was that if that's your view, you, you might as well not make any friends at all. The joy, the importance is the relationships that you construct regardless of how they're going to fi finish. So at the moment you're kind of, I guess, structuring your life around trying to find time to spend with James. But if it's the case that Natasha and Katrina leave Canberra, you're not necessarily sure if you will follow them. No. Um, some of the things I want to do with my, my life include running my own childcare centre, um, probably as a family daycare as they call it. 
uh, and also the poss possibly fostering children. Both of those things would need me to be settled in one place. Canberra feels like a place I can do that. If I went back to Sydney, they would both be very hard to set up, I think. And I also have moved more times than I can count quickly over the past 20, 25 years. Um, and I really don't want to have to move again unless it's sort of to somewhere permanent. I particularly do not want to move somewhere where I do not know anyone. It takes me a very long time to get to know people and I'm slowly managing it in Canberra. I don't want to have to start that process again. So I have told Natasha and Katrina, no, if they moved back to Sydney, maybe I would follow them. If they moved anywhere else, probably I would not. What do you want for James as he grows up? Um, what do you want for him that's what you've had or experienced in life or, you know, the opposite of that? I want to say happiness. Knowing that one cannot be happy all the time. Um, that connects with something else I was reminded about earlier in this conversation. Um, a poem about grief being part of love. I want him to have the chance to follow his path, to be able to know what his heart is telling him and to be able to go for it. I want him to have support. I want him to, to be able to experience joy and to be able to bring it to other people. If you had to record a message for James, <laughs> that he would access, I don't know, when he turns, what age would you say, like <laughs> 15, 20, 30, I'm not sure, what would you say to him? Oh, there's, <laughs> there's too much, um, but what, the, the one sentence that I, I um, use Quite often, when a colleague at work has just left to move to Melbourne, or one of the children who's just left, I use this sentence, and it's in Irish, the Gaelic language of Ireland. And it's the first sentence of a traditional Gaelic blessing. It goes, Ganiri Amboa Lat. Literally, it translates as, may the road rise with you. But the verb iri, the verb to rise in Irish, has the connotation of success. If you want to say you succeeded at something, you say, it rose with me. So what that sentence really means is, may your way succeed. I guess you'll have to start teaching him <laughs> Gaelic now. <laughs> That one, that one people can find online. <laughs> we'll stick with German for the moment. 
Love, Canberra is written and produced by me, Ivana Ho. The theme music is by Proletar. The interstitial music is courtesy of Poddington Bear and Will Bangs. If you'd like to get in touch about anything at all, you can reach me at lovecanberrapodcast at gmail.com. And remember to subscribe to Love Canberra in Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcatcher. Next time on Love Canberra. I think there are times when you get fed up of seeing the same person and fed up of listening to the same story and fed up of whatever and mannerisms. I think you do. I think it would be hard not to. You know, you mm. think if he does that one more time, I'm going to rip his head off. And I think those are things that you just have to accept. And that's it for now. Thanks for listening.